The sports world has been greening itself for most of the century, but despite these efforts, most fans have no idea. That changes now. Welcome to Green Sports Pod. Hosted by Lou Blaustein, Green Sports Pod highlights the successes, challenges, and opportunities to green the games we love to watch and play, and give you the chance to hear from the athletes who are taking positive environmental actions. Learn more and subscribe to the show today at greensportsblog.com. Hi there, I'm Lou Blaustein, and this is Green Sports Pod. Thank you for joining us for our first episode, and I cannot think of a better lead-off guest than Dr. Alan Hershkowitz, the godfather of the green sports movement. He's been there since the beginning, 2003, 2004, and has been a part of almost every advance in the green sports movement. Alan and I had a wide-ranging discussion about how he got to green sports in the first place, where the movement is today, and where the movement is going, especially now that we are in a global climate crisis. Let's go back to Alan's earliest days and a foreshadowing of his green sports future. My parents were refugees from the Second World War, and I grew up playing punch ball and stick ball and baseball and Little League uh, on the sandlots of Brooklyn. Uh, Actually, uh, the first day of kindergarten, I met a guy named Randy Levine, who is now the president of the New York Yankees. Many years after that kindergarten meeting, Hershkowitz and Randy Levine would end up playing important roles in the green sports story at one of sports' greatest cathedrals, Yankee Stadium. But that's getting ahead of ourselves. Allen pursued a career in environmental science with a long and successful tenure at the environmental nonprofit, the Natural Resources Defense Council, or NRDC. Sports was not in the picture for much of his career, but then, about 16 years ago, the Philadelphia Eagles called. Back in 2004, when I first got a call from the Philadelphia Eagles, the ownership of the Philadelphia Eagles who asked, I'm an industrial ecologist, that's the kind of work I do, resource economics, industrial ecology. I look at material flows. How do you identify production processes that leave uh, less burden on the planet? I got called by the ownership, Jeffrey and Christina Lurie. Uh, They had just completed uh, the development of Lincoln Financial Field. They wanted my advice on how to turn their team green. To do so, Hershkowitz took a deep dive into the Eagles' operations and their supply chain, including investigating toilet paper? At the Eagles Stadium, what I discovered, because I was running NRDC's paper industry reform project, the paper industry is one of the largest ecological pressures on the planet. Depending on whose data you use, the paper industry contributes, uh, is one of the three or four largest greenhouse gas impacting uh, uh, industries in the world. It's one of the largest, if not the largest consumer of fresh water. It's one of the greatest ecological pressures on forests. And what we discovered back 15 years ago was that uh, the Eagles were buying their bathroom tissue and some of their paper products from paper mills that were relying on forests that hosted eagles. Eagle habitat was being wiped out to produce toilet paper and other paper products at the Eagle Stadium. And once the owners of the Eagles learned about that, 
which I shared with them through research that we had been doing in NRDC, they immediately changed their paper products to recycled. And that really gave birth to the green sports movement. Green sports also had a most unlikely midwife. Uh, Robert Redford, the actor, suggested that we create a whole program around sports. He said, we have to be able to meet people outside of New York and L.A. and Chicago. We need to be in Alabama. We need to be in Missouri. We need to be in Kansas. And he suggested um, engaging with sports. And because I was already doing this work with the Eagles, Bob Redford and I and one of the owners of the Oakland Athletics baseball team uh, reached out to uh, uh, MLB commissioner Bud Selig. At the time, Bud Selig was commissioner. Um, And it turns out that Bud Selig is a spectacular environmentalist. And we launched the Commissioner's Initiative for Sustainable Ballpark Operations back. Actually, we started it quietly in 2005. We worked for two years creating environmental information for every single professional baseball team and in 2007 after spending close to a million dollars NRDC after spending almost a million dollars to produce 30 environmental guides for every baseball team location specific we announced uh, Major League Baseball's Commissioner's Initiative on Sustainable Ballpark Operations and that was the very first professional sports sustainability, uh, uh, organized sustainability program. So the green sports movement was born in the mid-2000s. How did Hershkowitz and the others involved at its birth grow it to a level where it would make real impact? Enter the late Paul Allen, one of the co-founders of Microsoft, along with that Bill Gates fellow, and the owner of three pro sports teams in the Pacific Northwest. And then in 2009, I got a call from uh, someone who worked for Paul Allen, Jason Twill, who uh, said he found out about the work that my colleagues and I at NRDC were doing in the sports sector. And he said, we have three teams, the Seattle Seahawks, the Seattle Sounders, the Portland Trailblazers. Uh, Would NRDC be interested in helping Paul Allen's organization uh, environmentally with its teams? And I remember saying right there to Jason, I said, you've got three teams from three leagues. He said, yeah. I said, well, I'm working with the Seattle Mariners. That's a fourth team um, from, you know, a fourth league. You know, why don't we create some Pacific Northwest professional sports greening coalition? He said, that sounds like a good idea. Why don't you come on out? So um, I went out to Seattle and Jason Twill and I met. And um, at that point I said, look, we could do something in the Pacific Northwest, but frankly, you know, back in New York and on the East Coast, you know, I'm working with all the leagues, and I, not to mention the Mets and the Yankees and the Red Sox and a lot of, you know, east of the Mississippi teams. Why don't we create, you know, uh, a national green sports alliance? Hershkowitz eventually left NRDC to become president of the Green Sports Alliance, whose members now number nearly 600 sports teams and venues from 15 sports leagues, mostly in North America. Building a worldwide green sports movement was something Hershkowitz was also quite keen on doing. I met with folks from the International Olympic Committee and uh, and sports management schools in Europe. And I started to spend more time in Europe, a lot of time in Europe. Uh, and that resulted in uh, me working with some colleagues in Europe to create Sport and Sustainability International, uh, which is headquartered in Geneva, headquartered in Switzerland, but we have a, a U.S. Uh, office uh, in, in Connecticut. 
Um, and that now has a membership in 50 countries uh, around the world. So green sports has become a thing over the past 15 years or so, and Hershkowitz has been there at almost every turn. But why sports? Especially since the actual carbon emissions generated by sports events is relatively minuscule. Any individual sporting event by itself really doesn't have a big ecological footprint. In fact, if we take a look at the uh, National Hockey League's sustainability report, and I'm uh, an advisor to the National Hockey League, and I was an advisor, uh, you know, to the creation of the sustainability reports, you know, you're looking at at, at the, the entire carbon footprint of all National Hockey League operations um, being less than a, a quarter of a million tons a year. All games, all team travel, all league operations, less than 250,000 tons of carbon a year for the entire league's annual carbon budget. Well, what does that mean? You know, people may not understand, you know, that 250,000 tons is tiny because one coal power plant can emit 20 million tons of carbon a year. With that being the case, why is a PhD in environmental science like Alan Hershkowitz spending his time with stadium managers and sports commissioners? To Hershkowitz, it's a simple acknowledgement that people care about sports way more than they do science. Remember, in the United States, less than 20% of the population consistently follows science in any meaningful way. On the other hand, about 80% of the population follow sports in a close way. So you know, if you're going to it, try to instigate a cultural shift in our thinking about how we relate to the planet, if you're going to try to instigate a change in behavior as it relates to environmental issues and climate issues in particular, how do you do that? How do you change people's minds? How do you change behavior? There's many platforms that we could use, but I think sports is the most powerful one. You know, sports has always been socially conscious. In fact, no sector, in my estimation, uh, has been more influential in uh, elevating the conversation around race than sports. No sector has been more important in elevating the conversation around gender equality. I mean, just think of Jackie Robinson and Jesse Owens and Muhammad Ali and Colin Kaepernick on the racial issue. Just think of, of course, Billie Jean King and, so, and you know, and more recently in 2019, of course, the women's national soccer team in the United States and globally uh, the movement to allow women to uh, participate in sports. And in some Middle Eastern countries, they weren't even allowed to attend sporting events. While Hershkowitz's training is in the hard sciences, he thinks the power of sports to impact the environment comes from softer sciences like sociology and psychology. People connect with trusted networks. How do people learn? They learn at the family table, they learn in their churches or synagogues or mosques, um, and they learn when they go to sporting events. You know, when you go to Yankee Stadium, there's no garbage can. Uh, you're going to either put your waste into a recycling bin, your bottles and cans, or you're going to put your food waste and packaging into a compost bin. And that's communicated to people. The fact the circular economy, the need for recycling is communicated, the need the benefits of composting. That's communicated to people at Yankee Stadium and so many other stadiums and venues around the world now. 
um, in a non-preachy, non-political way. Hershkowitz has used both his environmental and climate science knowledge to consult with a myriad of teams and leagues about their greening efforts. Arguably, his most high-profile client to date is the New York Yankees. And full disclosure, I am a lifelong Yankees fan dating back to their dark mid-60s era. Anyway, one might not think of the Yankees with their button-down corporate image as being environmental innovators. One would be wrong. The senior vice president for ballpark operations, for senior vice president of the Yankees and the director of ballpark operations, Doug Pihar, uh, is a huge uh, environmentalist, uh, you know, one of the most influential and informed and uh, 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 effective environmental uh, uh, advocates in the sports industry in the world. Uh, he was already building in environmental intelligence into the uh, development of the new Yankee Stadium. Uh, once that, you know, they were using high efficiency, you know, the highest efficiency equipment for energy and conservation for water, and they developed, you know, their recycling program. And over time, over the last 10 years, I've been, you know, an advisor to them. In fact, last year, Hershkowitz became the Yankees' environmental science advisor. That's right. The New York Yankees have an official environmental science advisor. The Yankees really want to be first to be first. Um, And, you know, they're committed to it and they have the confidence. So uh, I was honored uh, in this year, in February 2019, uh, uh, Hal Steinbrenner, the owner, uh, announced uh, I went down and met with Hal and uh, and he announced my appointment as the environmental science advisor to the New York Yankees and I have to tell you that announcement uh, went all over the world I mean I, I knew that the Yankees were a visible brand but I never had any idea of how incredibly visible it was uh, until I was uh, part of a press release uh, from the Yankees I don't know of any other sports team that has such a position Hershkowitz works with among others Doug Bihar, the Yankees' VP of Operations, and Alan's friend from the Kindergarten Sandbox and current Yankees president, Randy Levine, to not only green the games at Yankee Stadium and at Steinbrenner Field, their spring training complex in Tampa, but to also use the Bronx Bombers' massive profile to spur climate action in sports climate action, dealing with greenhouse gases. You know, the very first thing that we did, actually, I was appointed in February as the official environmental science advisor. And the very first thing we did uh, was get the Yankees to sign the United Nations um, uh, Framework Convention on Climate Change Sport for Climate Action Framework Pledge. The Yankees were the first North American team to sign the United Nations Climate Action Pledge um, we did it, uh, and it's interesting that when the that the only two organizations that were acknowledged through press releases from the Secretary General of the United Nations, um, the only two sports organizations in the world that were acknowledged by a press release from the United Nations Secretary General were the International Olympic Committee and the New York Yankees. Hershkowitz was part of a global team that worked with the UN to develop the Sport for Climate Action Framework, which was introduced about a year ago. Signees like the Yankees commit to support five principles. One, undertake systematic efforts to promote greater environmental responsibility. Two, reduce overall climate impact. Three, educate for climate action. 
four, promote sustainable and responsible consumption, and five, advocate for climate action through communication. Other teams, sports governing bodies, and organizations like the Green Sports Alliance and SANSI soon followed by signing the framework. Of course, committing to the sport for climate action framework is easy. Making good on those commitments is the much harder part. Here's Hershkowitz on how the Yankees are going about their work in this area. We prioritize our issues based on highest risk, ecological risk, highest risk to public health, and most immediate opportunities to reform things. What, what can we get done right away? What's the biggest impact issue that, you know, that raises concerns that we need to focus on? Well, what's the biggest threat to public health? And of course, in all of those regards, climate change is number one. So uh, the Yankees have developed, the Yankees have been measuring, I've been working with them for many years. We've been measuring uh, our greenhouse gases from all sources, uh, scope one, scope two, and, you know, to the extent that we can identify scope three data, we do that as well. Scope one are the greenhouse gas impacts that happen on site associated with your boilers uh, or the vehicles that are in your stadium on site. That's scope one. Scope two is the energy you buy over the fence from your local utility. And scope three are the greenhouse gas impacts associated with your supply chain and your waste management and your team travel. Scope three are the impacts associated with other companies that instigate greenhouse gas impacts as a result of your purchases. In addition to working to reduce scope one, two, and three emissions, the Yankees, as well as other teams and leagues, are also offsetting what they can't eliminate in innovative ways. And Hershkowitz is also helping the Yankees to make sure biodiversity is protected in the places where they operate. What the Yankees are doing and what the Mets are doing and what the U.S. Tennis Association is doing and what Major League Soccer is doing and what NASCAR is doing is actually investing in uh, carbon compensation, carbon offsetting projects in some of the most um, uh, uh, financially poor countries in the world. Uh, and they're literally saving lives by doing that, as well as uh, promoting climate, uh, environmental literacy, promoting conservation farming, promoting clean water initiatives, of course, offsetting greenhouse gases, protecting biodiversity, reducing deforestation. So greenhouse gas impacts are number one, uh, biodiversity protection. You know, looking at the supply chain of the Yankees, uh, looking at the operations of the Yankees to uh, minimize or eliminate uh, impacts that uh, instigate habitat uh, dislocation. Of course, uh, terrestrial conversion of green spaces is the most consequential cause of species extinction on land. Um, so, you know, making sure we don't instigate environmental liabilities. Uh, related to ecological liabilities related to biodiversity impacts. How do we reduce our biodiversity impacts? The work of Hershkowitz and many others in the green sports space is very important, but most of it takes place behind the scenes. The real impact of sports happens when fans are engaged and inspired. According to Hershkowitz, the Yankees are beginning to speak to their fans about their work on climate. The Yankees are promoting climate literacy through uh, uh, information on their website uh, at on-field uh, celebrations, like when we signed the Climate Pledge, information on their um, scoreboard. Uh, they have a TV network, the Yes Network, doing 
promotion about climate literacy, environmental literacy, through all the media assets that the Yankees have. Uh, just the other day, I was filmed by the BBC at Yankee Stadium, working with the Yankees communication department to get word out about what the Yankees are doing to European sports organizations. That is, of course, a good thing. But the Yankees, the leagues, and the networks that cover them need to do much, much more to communicate that we are in a climate emergency, that it affects every aspect of life, including sports, and that we have to mobilize much faster to act at scale. Because I bet if you walk outside wherever you're listening to this podcast and ask the first 10 people you see, hey, do you know that the Yankees are working diligently to fight climate change? Even in New York City, I believe the chances are good that none of them will answer yes. This leads Hershkowitz to voice a conundrum that lies at the heart of where the green sports movement is now and how fast it should move on climate action going forward. We've got, you know, till basically 2030, to really, uh, you know, avoid a tipping point where we're going to instigate irreversible trends that are going to create a downward spiral that is, you know, basically we're not going to be get, you know, that's going to cause, you know, literally threaten life on Earth. Um, so we don't have a lot of time, but the marketplace is very hard to change. You know, there's trillions of dollars of embedded manufacturing assets. Um, assets associated with fossil fuel extraction, with mining, with deforestation. And, um, you know, I'm an opportunist on this. I will take any progress, no matter how small, as quickly as I possibly can. But there is no one big answer. Sport has its own culture. The most important thing we could do to advance sustainability, the single most important thing we could do is change cultural attitudes, change cultural expectations about how we relate to the planet. So we have to basically use culture influencing organizations that are not oriented towards sustainability inherently. The film industry, the music industry, the sports industry, they're not in the business of being environmental advocates. If sports teams, venues, and media are constrained by market forces, and I actually think the cost for things like solar and energy storage at sports venues is improving. But let's accept this is true for the sake of this discussion. What about athletes? They're the ones with the most power to influence culture in the sports world, not the owners, not the teams. In the last one to two years, there has been an uptick of athletes speaking out on climate, but it is still a small number. Why is this the case? Not everybody is a Roger Federer playing until they're 38 or a Tom Brady or a LeBron James, okay? These folks have a very short window of opportunity to make as much money as they can because basically that's their whole professional, uh, you know, uh, uh, their career in, you know, in high school and college, uh, you know, trying to become a professional athlete. Um, you know, they're, they're, they have to make as much as they can. They seek to make as much as they can in a very short period of time. And environmental messaging is not as lucrative as, you know, selling sneakers or selling automobiles uh, or selling pizza. Frankly, you know, athletes, you know, and also often have big lifestyles and entertainers. So, you know, if you're going to have a spokesperson from entertainment or sports, you know, there's got to be authenticity. Um, you know, they can't, you know, they can't be driving around in a Hummer, 
you know, and flying in a private jet, you know, and then talk about, you know, the, you know, the need to, uh, you know, to deal with climate. Despite the challenges inherent in getting the sports world to move faster and more forcefully on climate, and despite the animus towards the environment and climate change expressed by the current administration in Washington, D.C., Hershkowitz is not only proud of what sports has done on the environment, he is bullish about its ability to make a difference going forward. I think actually uh, over the last 10 years, the sport and sustainability movement has been one of the most effective sectors in the environmental advocacy world, especially in North America, where our government has been uh, outright hostile to environmental progress. The sports industry is going in exactly the right, uh, the, uh, the opposite direction from where our government is going. Remember, when you sign the UN Climate Pledge, part of that climate pledge is support for the goals of the Paris Agreement. Now, I don't need to remind your listeners that, you know, this administration, you know, pulled the United States, you know, is attempting to pull the United States out of the Paris Agreement. But, you know, but the Yankees and, you know, and the NBA and the USTA and AEG and the Staples Center and the, and the Kings and the Lakers, you know, and Minnesota Wild, I mean, you know, and the Golden State Warriors, they're all saying, no, we're part of the we're still in movement. And that's that takes, you know, courage to do that. Courage or courage, as famously bellowed by the cowardly lion in The Wizard of Oz. Well, it says here that the lion, as in the Detroit Lions, will need to show more courage on climate. So too will the New York Yankees. And I'm betting they will, thanks to the efforts of Alan Hershkowitz. And hundreds of other teams and leagues and athletes will have to show more courage, even if hawking pizza pays better. Now is the time. You've been listening to Green Sports Pod, hosted by Lou Blaustein. Subscribe today on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And head on over to greensportsblog.com, the source for news and commentary at the intersection of green and sports. Thanks, and we'll see you next time on Green Sports Pod. Green Sports Pod.